at the end of the day, this is a people-first business. Technology is very important to increase your efficiencies internally, increase your number of transactions per day per person, but it's all about the people. And we, we have a, tag, a tagline, hire, train, retain. Um, we, we had over 8,000 applicants last year. We hired 275 of them. It's more, you know, it's more difficult, you know, to get, to get a job here from a percentage standpoint than, you know, a high-level university. Hi, everybody. David Schwab here. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. I'll tell you, every pod I've had, every conversation's been di- different, unique, interesting. Man, Matt Pye, no different. Awesome story. Um, Matt and I were connected via Tim Holcomb, who's running the entrepreneurship program on campus for Miami. And actually, Tim's been awesome. He has connected me to a lot of great people. Um, and if you're a student, find Tim on campus. Um, if you're an alumni, connect with Tim. Um, smart, smart guy. Matt, geez, where do you start? I guess we start when he was 10, working on farms in West Virginia, saving money, always um, trying to get ahead. That money that started at the age of 10 uh, allowed him to buy inventory for health supplements when he was a sophomore in Oxford to start a, start a business, entrepreneurship, Miami Muscles. He's doing it on campus with a couple other classmates um, from Miami. That business, he ultimately, as he said, he didn't sell it, but he structured a royalty deal and got some money when he graduated college, worked for another fraternity brother or another Miami colleague at Command Transportation, learned enough in three or four years and started a logistics business, Arrive Logistics. Great story about the name Arrive, that it was a buddy's mom who came up with it. He started with zero customers and 10 employees in 2014. As of today, summer 2018, 500 employees, 3,500 customers. It's ridiculous growth. And it sounds like they're thriving and continue to grow. Their motto of the business, hire, train, retrain. Incredible. It's a people-first business, as he says. Technology is always important, but people, people, people. If you listen to all these pods, it's a similar and common thread that every successful person has said. The importance of a team, the importance of people, the importance of hiring the right person. Uh, Hope you enjoy the conversation with Matt. I really did. He is smart. Um, Check him out. And it's amazing all the Miami connections that he has uh, working with him, but also that has helped him get from where he was just 10 years ago to where he is now. Enjoy the conversation with Matt. We pick it up in the difference between living in West Virginia of 30,000 people and now in Austin, Texas. It's definitely been a pretty crazy transition you know, growing up in Parkersburg. You know, honestly, the first um, culture shock was going to Miami. You know, West Virginia was pretty laid back, pretty simple. Um, you know, a lot of blue collar. Uh, then you get to Miami and there's a lot of the white collar individuals and it's just kind of like a shock on your system. And then, you know, now moving to Austin, it's, it's very different. It's, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of tech people, um, you know, it's just a whole different young, vibrant crowd. Whereas, you know, growing up in West Virginia, it was much, uh, much older, much slower paced. Um, everything seems to, you know, we grow so quickly here in Austin. I mean, the populations are in like a couple hundred thousand people every year. And, you know, the city I grew up in had 30,000 people. So, Quite a bit different. Yeah, very different. And so, uh, wow, 30,000 people. Uh, what was it about, the, about Oxford, Ohio and the white-collar individual? Or what, was, what drew you to Oxford coming from a 30,000-person town? 
Well, I'm the first person in my uh, my family not to go to University of Maryland. So I was born in D.C. Um, I thought I always grew up thinking I was going to go to Maryland. And then, you know, I kind of got sick of going to the campus and going to the games. And by the time I was a senior in high school, it was like, you know, it was like a place I've already been a hundred times. So it was like, try something new. And uh, when I was a, when I was in high school, I was a lifeguard. And the girl that I lifeguarded with ended up going to Miami. And she was a year older than me and came back and talked about how awesome it was. Um, so checked it out. I wanted to go to a really good business school and I wanted to go somewhere that wasn't, you know, really close to home, but was, um, close enough that I could come back whenever I needed to. So I ended up selling on Oxford and, you know, obviously it was an amazing decision. I don't think I, I made the decision, um, fully understanding how much fun it would be. And, and, uh, when you showed up on campus that first day, that first semester, what, what do you remember that was, uh, Wow, this is I'm not in West Virginia anymore, or I made the right decision, or I'm really pretty psyched about what the next four years is going to be about. Um, it's a great question. I, I mean, I think obviously I've been very independent um, my entire life, and you know, just getting to college and then you know having that feeling, okay, your parents are gone, you have complete freedom, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, I think every freshman goes through that where, you know, you get there and the first couple of weeks are nothing but partying. And uh, I think from there, you know, met a lot of really cool people in the dorm, um, a lot of very like-minded individuals, um, you know, growing up in West Virginia, you know, not everyone, you know, was, you know, academically at the level of someone that went to Miami and, you know, you get into that atmosphere and you're like, okay, there's a lot of cool people here and you know, I think I'm going to fit in and it just, it goes from there. And then when you were in school, and, and I did the exact same thing those first couple of weeks of partying and, and settled into dorm and fraternity life. and I don't think it ever stopped. No. <laughs> well, now with three kids, maybe it slowed down a little bit for me. But uh, what about those four years on campus? Um, side hustle, entrepreneurship work, clubs, or was it more of buddies in school? Yeah, um, I mean, it was, it was both. I was in a fraternity. Um, I was in Sigma Pi. made a lot of really good friends um, through that organization. But I started my first company out of the dorm. Uh, met my first business partner, Nino Natale, when we were living in Dodds. And uh, he came from a very entrepreneurial background and convinced me that we might as well take off a shot instead of going to class all the time. We'd learn more by you know starting our own business. So we ended up creating a company called Miami Muscles. And Miami Muscles was basically, let's see, we basically private labeled health supplements from a company called All The Way out of Pennsylvania. And we would drop ship our products to individuals on college campuses. So we went to the people we knew in high school and basically said, hey, here's our company. Here's a discount code. Give this out to your buddies that are in the dorms and you'll get a commission for every product you you sold. So we did that for almost a year. Um, And then we got into uh, direct marketing so we bought like lists of names from people that subscribed to Men's Health and uh, different publications like that and started sending them direct mail to try to sell them our protein product. And we realized that we need to have some kind of hook where like you gave them an incentive to buy it. And uh, my partner's dad, uh, Nino, his dad, Tim, found this Vortex mixer on Alibaba. It was called the F5 Tornado. Um, basically started importing this product from China. And we thought it was like really, really, um, it had a lot of potential. It started off pretty shitty. And then uh, through a lot of iterations, we finally got to a product that worked pretty well. And then we realized that the opportunity to sell the mixture was much higher than selling our protein, you know, protein and 
pre-workout is a very saturated market. It's very dependent on how much liquidity you have for marketing and things like that. Um, so I would say halfway through my sophomore year, we really focused all of our efforts on the Vortex, um, ended up signing an exclusive distribution agreement with a company called Woodbolt at the time. They were a small distributor of health supplements based out of Bryan, Texas, and they got us into GNC franchises and ending up getting us into GNC corporate. Um, you know, we sold about 500,000 mixers when we were in college. So that was a really good learning experience. And in fact, it's kind of the reason that I'm where I'm at today. You know, the guys that I did my first project with, uh, their company was Woodbolt. Now it's called Nutribolt. Um, you know, they were young entrepreneurs. When they were 31, you know, they sold 30% of their business to private equity for a secondary distribution. And they were looking to make investments. And that's kind of how Arrive was founded. I'm sure that's a longer story, but. Um, I don't want to deviate from your question too much, but uh, that, while I was in college. You keep going, keep going. I, Sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no problem. And then also I had a few other companies when I was in college. We um, we kind of looked at the Green Beer Day as an opportunity to make some money. A lot of the fraternities and sororities and people in the dorm were trying to sell it door-to-door. And, you know, I had been building websites for a long time, so we basically realized, well, why don't we just build an e-commerce website and sell T-shirts so that, you know, the kids on campus can use their parents' credit card instead of having to pay cash. Um, so we did really, really well on that. So we started Green Beer Day in 2008, 2009, 2010. It was just basically an e-commerce site. We sold probably 5,000 shirts every single year. Pretty good margins on those shirts, too, for not a lot of work. So did that as well while I was in college. So those were kind of like the two things I did. Um, I, was in, I, was a mark, I was originally a finance major. Um, but then when the Vortex started to do really well, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to change to marketing and entrepreneurship and a little less of a course load. Um, so that's kind of where I ended up. But go back to the very, that's fascinating. Go back to the very beginning with your, uh, buddy on campus. Why did you, and I, I get why you shifted, um, from distributing the supplements, uh, that you were doing to buddies and discount codes to what you did with Vortex, but why was the original idea health supplements? W- w- did one of you guys have background um, in that, or why did you land on that as the original idea? It's a great question, and to be honest with you, when I was in so growing up in West Virginia, it's very focused on football and wrestling and um, a lot of working out. So you know, growing up, steroids were really popular in the high school. Um, and I was always the person that was meticulous in my research, and I always was really well-read um, about things that I really enjoyed. So I spent a lot of time researching them, and you know, through the time in high school researching them, I basically figured out the big manufacturers of health supplements. So when we were sitting down, you know, we were like, well, what do we know about it? I was like, well, I know nutrition, I know health supplements pretty well, and I know, you know the people that manufacture them. There's only you know, five, six major manufacturers in the industry. It's really most of those major players get them all manufactured in the same place and then they put their own label on it and they ship them to their DCs and they go from there. Whereas, you know, so we reached out to all the different companies, we figured out which ones could drop ship and we're like, all right, we'll slap our label on it uh, and see what we can do. So that's kind of how we landed on uh, health supplement. And when you, and when you called those, let's call it big boy manufacturers, cause you guys are 19 year old kids. What was your pitch? So we've actually called the first one, which is called All the Way, and they really, at the time, they specialized in doctor's offices and physical therapy. So they're used to going to, like, the mom and pops, and, like, you can go and you're, you can order $1,000 worth, and they'll, you know, put, a, like, a generic label on it. 
um, for you. So they have their own graphic designers. So it's actually not outside of the their realm of what they did. So we, we picked the right one. And when we called them, it was more or less, hey, this is what we're trying to do. You know, we need to buy inventory from you guys where you guys warehouse it for us. And when we start getting orders, what's the cost to ship it? So it wasn't like I was calling Glanbia, um, you know, or Genesis or Valentine. Those are, or Nelson. Those are the big players in the industry. And, and where did you get the money to uh, buy the inventory? Well, I started working when I was like 10 years old on a farm. That was like a mile down the road. And um, I was always like pretty, pretty serious about making money. So at a young age, I figured out a way to work every single uh, hour of the day during the summer. And you know, honestly, I saved up a lot of money from the time I was 10, 11 years old until the time I got to college. And I had enough money to you know, get the business off the ground. It wasn't really a huge investment. We were, we were fortunate that one of the older guys in our fraternity actually started a web development company that's still in business today. It's very successful. Someone you should talk to on the pod, Matt Dopkis um, and Nick Siegel, started a company called Dynamic. Uh, technologies out of Columbus, Ohio, and they helped us out and built like a full, uh, full front and back end website. So that was the five thousand dollars, and then the inventory cost was like ten thousand dollars. So it was pretty, pretty marginal startup cost, to be honest. I, I can promise you that my fraternity in the early '90s were not having web developer business colleagues helping others create front ends of their business. That's awesome, and I definitely will get those guys on the pod. So. Before we get to what you're doing with Arrive Logistics and your world in Austin now, do you guys still own a piece of Miami Muscles? Did you sell it? Where's that business today? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that it was a legitimate enough business to quote-unquote sell. Um, what happened is we had an exclusive distribution contract with our manufacturer in China, and we were the only company he could sell to in North America. So then when we partnered with Woodbolt, they basically said, all right, guys, you're 19 or 20 years old. You're living out of a front house. Like, we're a legitimate business. Let us take it over, and we'll pay you a royalty for every unit we sell. Um, so that's kind of how it started to transition. And then when we were, I think, at the end of our senior year, they're like, all right, guys, we'll just give you a lump sum, and you're no longer going to get a royalty anymore. So effectively, you would say you got bought out of it, but it wasn't, like, meaningful enough to be life-changing or really even substantial. So it was more of a learning experience. And it was, you know, I, I never had to really work in college. I was able to travel and spend as much money as I wanted. So it definitely was enough that I was able to have a good time. And do those guys still sell your product today? Yeah, you can still buy them in stores. That's great. All right, so now you've you've graduated college. You've got a lump sum. Your graduation gift is a lump sum, so that you guys are out of that. Where do you jump to next? So it's interesting. I graduated a semester early, so I graduated in December of two thousand nine instead of uh, summer of two thousand ten. Kind of took those four months to figure out if I could find another business I wanted to get into. I really wanted to move down to Texas, where Nutribolt or Woodbolt was and see if that this Vortex project had some legs. And, you know, I wanted to get into, like, the baby formula industry. I want to get into geriatrics with Metamucil and different um, other powder supplements that I thought would be really relevant. Um, but we started having some quality control issues in, in the facility in China, and they started really lowering the quality of the product. And at the time, Manish and Das, the owners of Woodbolt, were like, it's just not worth our time. We're going to put this on the side. We're going to focus on our business. Um, when I first met them, they were a $5 million company, and by the time this happened, they were like a $150 million company. So it was such a small part of their business, it wasn't worth their hassle. So 
um, ended up having to find another job and enter Eric Dunnigan, another one of my fraternity brothers. Um, you know, he was up at up in Chicago. He was working at command transportation at the time. Uh, he was doing really, really well. And he convinced me, he's like, Hey, why don't you come up here? Um, you know, I know you're smart enough to figure out this industry, you know, hypothetically, you know, maybe we can do this one day ourselves kind of just in joking and passing. Um, so I was like, what, what the hell move up to Chicago. Most of the people from Miami end up there anyways, uh, see how I can do and kind of figure out my life from there. So ended up moving to Chicago in uh, July after graduating, um, started at command in August and I was there for about three and a half years. Uh, before leaving to start arrive, so kind of played out exactly how we discussed, you know, half half seriously. And and what uh, then was arrive? Was there anything called arrive logistics, or we when you left, it was to go start this business? Yeah, it was to go start the business. So the hardest part of starting a logistics company is finding a name that's not already taken, because there's you know five hundred thousand trucking companies and fifteen thousand brokers already in business. So. The fact that Arrive was not taking was completely mind-blowing. We spent literally three months. We had to start a holding company um, when we founded the company until we could come up with a real name and just add it as a DBA because it literally everything was taken. And who, and who came up with Arrive? Was that just something was just so obvious to you that you had all thought about it and then you're like, holy cow, wait, no one's got it? No, no it, was a, it was a friend's mom came up with it, so... It's just funny, and they just call and like, we got a great name. And I was like, oh, that's going to be taken. It's going to be taken, and then ended up not being taken. So, Did she at least it, get a bottle of wine it, out of it? I think so. I think so. <laughs> so, tell, so are you starting Arrive by yourself, or, are you, or is it kind of version three of, of the Fraternity Brothers? They helped you with the website. Different guys helped you get to command. And now who are you, who are you taking to start Arrive? So Eric, the guy that um, convinced me to come up to Chicago and work at Command, was my business partner in starting the company. So um, we lived together up in Chicago, and then um, he ended up meeting his future wife, moving in with her, but we obviously stayed pretty close. Um, and then, in fact, Manish is the one that reached out to me. Manish and um, Doc, like I said, are the original investors. And Manish reached out. We always stayed in touch. We talked every single month. And then, you know, they were 31 years old, and they had a substantial liquidity event, um, you know, over nine figures. So they were looking to make investments. And they're like, hey, we really liked working with you. Um, we know that we invest in people that are smart, that are ambitious. You know, what are you wanting to do? Like, you know, is there an opportunity? And when we really looked at the opportunity, you know, they had a $5 million freight spend at the time because they were obviously shipping products. And, you know, they were using a third party to manage their freight. And then they were just giving it to other third parties, basically double brokering it out. So we thought we could probably save 10% if we just started to arrive and did nothing but manage their freight. And if they're trading on the 12X, you know, on their EBITDA line, and I can save them 500000 you know, in essence, they're increasing their enterprise value by $6 million by giving me enough money to get a ride off the ground. So to them, they look at it as a no-brainer. You know, they win because they can cut out some costs and, you know, increase their value and obviously have, you know, some horses and another, you know, horse in the race for, you know, if the company ends up doing pretty well. So, you know, I think we were doing a lot better than, you know, anyone ever imagined. We started, you know, July of 2014 with 10 people, um, no customers other than Nutribolt at the time. And, and now we're over 500 employees and over 3,500 customers. So it's been pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. What, and what is it that you do that 
made growth possible in such a dramatic in four years to have such a, I mean, 10 to 500 and zero to 3,500 customers is awesome. So what is it that you guys yeah. do that's, I guess, a, a differentiation or different from somebody else out there? Well, we just went through our, our first ever, like, you know, official capital raise. We had our two original investors, angel investors, and then we just went out and closed our first round of funding from a professional company or professional investor lead ed. And that's a question that you get asked time and time again. And I think it's a host of things. There's no one thing that you can point your finger to that said, um, you know, what, what makes you different or what you do well. But at the end of the day, this is a people first business. Technology is very important to increase your efficiencies internally, increase your number of transactions per day per person, but it's all about the people. And we, we have a, ta- a tagline, hire, train, retain. Um, we, we had over 8,000 applicants last year. We hired 275 of them. It's more, you know, it's more difficult, you know, to get, to get a job here from a percentage standpoint than, you know, a high-level university. Not to say that, you know, it's that much more difficult. It's just we look for a very specific person. We've got a profile, and we profile every single one of our positions because they're all different. Um, so I think we've really used science, and, um, you know, we use a wonderlick. We use um, personality assessments. Uh, we use cultural interviews. We do a lot of really good things about finding the right people. And then I believe our training program is better than anyone in the industry. We spend more time and resources training our people and then retain. So what is retain? It's all about treating them right. It's about tying them in. It's giving them opportunity. It's about caring, giving them good mentorship, giving them career advancement, like just doing everything right. And then everyone is aligned to the same vision. So we hire the best, we train the best, and we retain better than anyone else. And we're a sales organization through and through with under 20% attrition, under 2% negative attrition. So, you know, I look at negative attrition as losing someone that you don't want to lose. Um, you know, so a lot of our attrition is you can't always hire, right? So you, you got you to gotta weed it out, you know, constantly, right? Um, so, you know, we do that really, really well. Um, we started off, you know, pretty well. We, we hit the market at the right time. 2014 was a very volatile year in our industry. And by the time we started our company, it was actually starting to slow down. So all the shippers were still feeling that they just got abused. And then all the carriers you know, no longer felt that had the power. So we were able to get in with the shippers right at that time because they were looking desperately for another option. And then the carriers were able to build relationships with them because the market was actually going against them and their, against their favor. So it was literally perfect timing. And then um, continue to grow, continue to grow. And then there's been a couple acquisitions in our industry that – um, allowed us to pick up some, some mid-level management, some senior-level management, executive management um, that really allowed us to scale because the biggest thing is is to have managers that can manage, it really takes three to five years of experience minimum, minimum. So we were able to kind of like create that layer of management, which basically fast-forwarded the company five or six, seven years, and then we just hired aggressively into it. We believed in our process, we believed in our people, and we just poured gas on the fire. So... Um, it's been pretty, it's a, it's a numbers game. The way we look at it is simply it's math. We know what someone's going to bring into the business exactly what month. And we have enough data points that we believe in our training and we believe it's going to be, it's going to be repeatable. So if you continue to follow the math and you build out the models, then you just don't deviate from it. And we've been very, very aggressive in doing so. And we're going to continue to be aggressive in doing so. I'm curious about your your age here for a second. So, if you graduated in in 2009, December 23rd, 2009, you're roughly 30. 
ballpark 30. You've got 500 employees. I'm turning 30, 30 in 21 days. Uh, there you go. Awesome. And, and, by, and I will forewarn because we'll post it by the time – this may post on your birthday. So happy birthday. But 30 Thank years you. old, you've got 500 employees as the CEO of a business. There's a lot of people. I would imagine there's more people that are older than you than younger than you. That's different than most CEO-type positions. I'm curious, is it hard in some ways to have people, that many people older and potentially generational older than you? So our industry is, is actually very young. Our average age is, I think, 25 or 26. Okay. So most people are younger than me. We hire almost exclusively out of colleges after, like, out of college or after their first job, which they ended up not liking within one or two years. That's, like, that's the bulk of our hires. You know, obviously a lot of the senior management, mid-level, and executive management is older than me. Um, but it's absolutely never been an issue. Um, you just got to come in and you got to understand what you're doing and know what you're doing. You got to be passionate about it. You got to be able to sell it and you got to be able to execute on it. And I think everyone respects you. Um, I think it'd be a different story if you came in and you just built a really strong team and you kind of just sat back, but I don't take days off. I work around the clock and I think that, you know, just my intensity um, and obviously my, you know, my ability to communicate what we're doing and then do it has um, made it pretty easy for 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 people older than us, you know, me and Eric to respect what we're doing. I don't know if you how often you go back to Miami, but there's students that are coming out that some have side hustles in there, some are just four year business uh, degrees or other degrees, and and they're starting out and they're trying to figure out what do I do next, what do I do tomorrow, or what's the advice for the guy, what's he doing tomorrow, or how do you think five, ten, twenty years out. How do I think 5, 10, 20 years out for me or for them? For them. For them. Uh, well, a little bit for well, you, too. I'd say for both, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest advice, you know, a lot of people ask, was it risky? You know, I was making a lot of money at command. I was doing well. I had a great trajectory. Like, why would I leave? And I think when you're young, you've got to just take shots off, and you've got to get one or two under your belt. And the one or two can be small, and they can be um, – you know, your friends can, like, think you're you're an idiot for doing it. But once you kind of get a rhythm, you, you've got to start, like, really taking those shots off in, in your early 20s before you're in the 30s because you got your family. So, you know, my my advice is that you find something that you're passionate about. You find a team that you love working with, and you just do it, and you don't ever take your head up. Um, once you have a family and, you know, kids, it's, it's much different. I'm not sure how much you can speak to that because I think, you know, you have a family and three kids, like you said. But... The amount of work and effort and what it takes to be successful, you've got to you got to get that out of the way. And one of the things that we always talk to our our employees about is that you got to look at your career like a marathon. But by the time you're 30, you better be over halfway done with the marathon. So you've got to be spring, you know, the first eight years out of college. It's got to be if if you want to be successful, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be you know high up in corporate America. You've got to be willing to put in the 80, 100 hours, even more, to be successful. And, and you can't be like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I hate this. I, it's just you're never going to be successful. So you got to first find the right position. Then you just have to outwork everyone and be confident in what you're doing. So and then in terms of me, the next 5, 10, 15 years, um, you know, I think that Arrive has got a lot of potential. And I think that there's an endless amount of opportunity to get into other um, sectors of transportation, uh, freight management, um, international, um, you know, consulting. So there's, there's so many things that we can do 
Um, we've got so many projects. In fact, I have my to-do list up. I, I literally live on my to-do list, and I've got different sections of it that are, like, deferred long-term projects, near-term projects. Like, it's just you have so many things to do. Um, we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy time. But I, I really see myself, um, you know, kind of like Manish and Das, making investments into other people, um, you know, that are looking for that opportunity. You know, I think, you know, 10 years from now, you know, I'm probably exclusively investing, whether it's, you know, out of a family office or whether it's, you know, um, you know, one-off EC type thing. That's really where I want to be. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. I kind of am a workaholic. So, you know, stepping away from an operating position is, is going to be really tough because um, it's, it's a, whole, a whole different ballgame when you're operating rather than investing. And, you know, and I love the operating part of it. Yeah, and to answer your question, yes, married for 20 years, with three kids, your your risk profile certainly decreases, and your twenties is such an opportune time to take risk. the The downside of risk is much smaller. Single, possibly without kids, probably don't own a house or some fixed asset. Uh, certainly, the time that if I look back to take advantage of travel and cultural opportunities and risk. Is, is the right time. Um, your to-do list. When, when do you write your to-do list? Is that a, a every morning at 5 a.m.? Is that before you go to bed? Is that something you have on your desk that you're updating every day? So everyone has a different style, obviously, which is uh, a fair question. you got to find what works for you. But myself, Donegan, um, my co-founder and president, he runs sales, and then my chief strategy officer, Blaine, uh, we have a shared document through Google, and we all have our own sections, and we're constantly in it. I'm in it 10 hours a day. It's always a tab that's open. So I'm literally deleting and adding and moving around at all times. I, I never stop. I don't have a set time. Um, I do have things, you know, time on my calendar weekly where I put two hours or three hours to say, okay, I'm going to literally get through a lot of this because, you know, you can get so caught up in meetings and, you know, all the other things that happen on a daily basis that you might have a hundred things on your to-do list and you just got to start knocking them out, pushing the project forward, getting updates, um, making sure things are going well. So um, I, I would say that it's literally iterative all, all the time, all the time. So, I mean, a, a example of what mine looks like is I've got 20 items that I'm working on that I would consider active with a notes and status column. And then I have a recruiting-related section because as the CEO, you're constantly recruiting, you're constantly building your team. It's all about the team. And then I have my CEO responsibilities that, you know, I always have front and center culture, vision, strategy, exposure, board management, funding, recruitment of executives, retention of management, and organizational development right in my face. And then I have this story, the story that I think makes Arrive unique of what people want when, uh, when we go to market, like execution technology, liquidity, repeatable growth engine, unique technology, management team, scale leverage, training, cohort model, increased margin by tenure, increased margin by lows, like everything that I think makes Arrive unique. And I constantly think about how we can get it better. And then I've got long-term projects, deferred projects. I got my Chattanooga office I'm starting in a couple months with my to-do list over there. And then I got a section on our, our next board meeting and potential topics that we want to talk about. So constantly moving around. All right. So that, that is busy and you're all in all the time. When you have the break or when you take a break to refresh your mind or to learn or to try to get your head out of a ride for a moment, What's the one passion project or hobby that keeps you uh, 
keeps you going outside of this business? Um, it's, it's a really funny question that you ask. I have, um, I'm definitely known for not taking breaks and I'm trying to get better at it. I didn't take a day off for the first four years almost. Um, and I think as a founder, even when you take time off, you don't actually take time off. There's no such thing. Um, especially with how fast we're growing. So I've been trying, um, recently, um, I started dating a girl back in January and she's a mental health therapist. She's very all about mindfulness and, you know, all those types of practices. So she's been working on me. So working out, uh, long walks, just, you know, getting out of, uh, getting out of the business. I, I blocked off my calendar from seven to eight thirty every single day so that, you know, I don't feel the pressure of being here at six thirty anymore. Like, and then not leaving until six and then going to a dinner and then going to recruit. It's like, you get in the office at 6.30, I know I'm not stopping until 10.30 or 11. So it's like, okay, schedule time for myself in the morning because I know once I start, I'm not going to stop. So um, that's kind of one of the things that I've really done. Um, but I, I'm trying. I, I, I took my first vacation. I went to Napa a couple weeks ago um, to, um, for my girlfriend's birthday. So that was, that was good. But I don't think that I'm ever going to be fully able to check out. I'm not a big golfer. Um, I really don't have any real hobbies that, you know, can get me away from the business. Uh, I've got a lot of really good friends. And, you know, one of the things that's unique is a lot of my friends work here at Arrive. Um, done a really good job of mixing that. A lot of people don't have success with it, but I've had a lot of success with um, putting my friends in the right roles and, you know, obviously not, you know, putting them in a leadership position unless they own, you know, earn it. So, you know, they don't get any preference, preferential treatment. So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, I look at my business as, you know, kind of my family and it's, it's what I enjoy doing. So I, I don't think it's a funny question to ask me that everyone else and probably you would ask would love to unwind, but I hate it. It stresses me out. Great conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for taking some time. Just listening to that to-do list, keeping the tab open 10 hours a day, working hard, um, and it shows unbelievable success and continued growth. I'm hoping you do take a few more Napa trips uh, in the near future. It's, it's never a bad thing, but I hear you as a founder of a business and operator of a business that it means everything to you. And as you said, business is family. And we'll do everything you can to make sure the business and uh, your friends, colleagues, employees succeed. And I admire that. Thanks for taking that time, Matt. Thanks for taking it out of your day. I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation. Please do share. If you have ideas of other folks that would be great podcasts, please send them my way. Um, Twitter, David underscore Schwab or at Beyond High Street. Certainly different ways to connect with me. I'd love it. Thanks again, guys. Have a great summer. See you at Skippers.